to episode two of the IntelliCast podcast. This is Adam Jolly of EMI Research. I'm here with Brian Lamar, also of EMI. Good afternoon. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Um, we had some great feedback from last week's podcast. Um, I, it was weird, you know. I, I never realized how you can see the stats of where people listen from, where people are. Um, so I told Brian this morning, we have five listens from Walton, Kentucky, which is where I grew up. So I'm thinking like my mom, maybe my high school principal, uh, business teacher. Uh, I hope it's like my old baseball coach, like from when I was like in middle school that might have benched me or something. He's like, ah, you still throw like a girl, but you made it. <laughs> that type thing. I think we're banned in China. We did yes. have we did have France and UK, but we know someone that tried to listen from China, and we didn't record it, so China's blocking it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It noted. Uh, I wanted to kind of send so, so first some plugs. Um, as we go out through today, we're really looking for more listener feedback. Um, so please reach out to us with any ideas, is any rant ideas, any Mount Rushmore ideas, any research topic ideas that you have at IntelliCast at EMI-RS. Dot com. You can also follow EMI on Twitter. Uh, the handle is EMI underscore research on Twitter. Um, follow me on Twitter. I think I'm a good time. I'll tweet everything about uh, rappers, uh, professional wrestling every once in a while. Um, I would say sit out between like September and January on Saturdays. I go into a dark place for Notre Dame football. Uh, but my Twitter handle is just... Adam Jolly, my name. Brian, do you have a Twitter? I do. I don't really use it. Yeah. Oh, you don't? Really? No, I just follow people. Huh. I don't just, tweet. My life is really boring. Just take, take, take. Yeah. All right. Makes sense. Uh, today's guest is Adam Dietrich, um, also of EMI. Adam is our political polling expert. I'm excited to bring Adam because... You know, this year is a big midterm year. Um, I think that we can still have a lot to rehash from 2016 and some of the polling type things. Um, so excited to have Adam on the pod. Um, but let's get started with our first segment, Brian, research, news, and topics. Yeah, what, what's in the news? I didn't think there was a lot in the, in the news this week. Um, so I thought um, conferences is going to be the research news. A um, couple months at the end of the year, late fall, early winter, there's not really any conferences. But now they're really starting to ramp up. Uh, you have Quarks West coming soon. We have SampleCon, which is um, the only really sample-specific conference. You have Quarks East and you have Qualtrics Summit, all kind of back-to-back-to-back-to-back. They're all a little bit different. One focuses on sample, one's a little more programming-oriented, and then you have a couple that are more general market research. What are your all thoughts on that? A couple people in the room are going to some of those conferences. Yeah, I'm going to SampleCon and Qualtrics. Uh, Adam? Is it okay if I call you Dietrich during the podcast? This is a conversational, free-flowing conversation, right? So if you want to call me Jolly, no one, inside baseball type talk, no one calls me Adam. Everyone calls me Jolly. No one calls you Adam. Everybody calls you Dietrich. Correct. No one calls Brian Lamar Brian Lamar. Everyone calls him Lammy, which is the most endearing, soft nickname <laughs> someone could have. So... Don't be like, if you see me at a conference, I'll answer to Jolly. I don't know if Brian's going to answer to Lammy. I'd answer to Lammy. Would you? I've kind of grown to love it. Let's start it. Let's start us get t-shirts, man. Perfect. Uh, but you're going to Adam, Dietrich, Quirks West, Orange County, end of January. Very yeah. excited. Uh, I have been to Orange County. I'm from there. <laughs> I know. Have you ever been to Quirks West? <laughs> uh, I have not been to Quirks This is the first year at Quirks West. Uh, they, everything's been in New York. Incorrect, but... New to you. New to me. Okay. New to me. Isn't this the first year that they kind of Yeah, it went last year. Yeah. 
But this is the first year of California? I don't know. Sorry. I apologize. No, no this is good for their marketing. They'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> They're listening. <laughs> I didn't go last year, so new to me. Okay. Uh, well, what... So last week we talked about like what I try to get from like Brian painted the horror story of right. like, conferences. I say that's me. What do you? What's like your number one goal when you go to a conference? Unfortunately, I think that there are times when it does resemble a little bit too much of, of Brian's horror story from last week. Um, but I think that with time, I think and and more experience within conferences, I've kind of gone to to kind of cherry pick a little bit like he does. Um, so I'm obviously, you know, as a, a client facing person uh, on the sales side, obviously the goal is always to either, you know, create new connections or, or kind of uh, use the time to grow relationships with existing clients. But it's also the really like, for me, instead of just, you know, being on that, uh, you know, 100% of the time, it's also kind of a great way to get a pulse on, on where the industry is, you know, talk yeah. about to hear what trends are. You know, kind of going on. Obviously, we all follow along with like research Twitter and you know office chatter and things like that. But I think the conference for me is like the best place to really get a, a good pulse on what people are thinking about, what people are worried about, etc. Sure, I've never really thought about that, really. But yeah, you do, and you kind of get like I know that when you go to SampleCon, I kind of know that everyone's going to be talking about like programmatic sampling. People are still going to be talking about the research now, SSI thing. They're going to be some kind of rumor about somebody else is going to get bought. And like everyone talks about that. And then like you find just like in any like media or like information consumption, you find the narrative that fits what you want and you run with that. Uh, I never thought about that with conferences. Um, that's what to me, like, so I'm going to Qualtrics this year, really low sell type opportunity. Like to me, I'm going cause we use Qualtrics. I can use that a lot. Sure. I'll probably pick up some prospects while I'm out there for people that, you know, need sample along with that. For the most part, they're like, the speakers at Qualtrics this year. Have you seen? Do you know who's speaking? Like, so Liz Wiseman, who's awesome. She wrote Multipliers. Mm -hmm. I wrote blog writer. She's awesome. Uh, Lin Manuel Miranda. Really? This week? Oh. Yeah. Hamilton. I I didn't know that. Yeah. I I will be in the room where it happens. It's a Hamilton joke. Oh, I get You've it. Seen it. Oh, I get it. I'm just not giving you the laughs. Oh, okay. Upset. Uh, and then they just announced Magic Johnson. This is this is Qualtrics in later this year. Yeah, in Salt Lake in March in Salt Lake Showtime. Wow. Yeah, I'm that's, excited. That's pretty impressive. What other conferences are going? We're going to SampleCon. We're hosting the Scavenger Hunt on the first day of SampleCon. It's, it's our third Scavenger Hunt. Yes, we're hosting that in Austin, Texas. So if you're going to be in Austin on that Wednesday, mm -hmm. kick it off with a Scavenger Hunt. Get to know Austin, see Austin a little bit, and have some fun yeah. while you're doing it. And Cork nice. East. Of course, East in New York, which is in Brooklyn, right? Kelly Clayton is going to that one. From EMI. Yeah. Uh, I'm fascinated by the course conferences. I think mm -hmm. there's a big, there's, they get better every year, and everyone I talk to says, like, yes, go to Quirks. It's taken over for some of like the TME, TMRE type conferences. Totally. Um, mm -hmm. Their structure is great, payment structure, that how they charge vendors and then like it's basically free if you're like once you learn and you're a researcher mm -hmm. to count basically free um i think that's great plus you're in new york so to me this is kind of a shake-up for conferences it's like normally conferences are in vacation locales right or like where the headquarters is for Qualtrics or whatever mm -hmm. but i want a conference where i can go and see other people that maybe not even be at the conference right 
So where if something is a bus or I can take like three days for the conference or two days extra, I can see it. So that's where like Brooklyn is so appealing to me Definitely. because like if you go to the conference and let's just say it just isn't for you or you didn't learn, you didn't meet somebody, you take like maybe you don't go to the conference till 11 and 8 to 11 you see people in New York. I remember going to San Diego. There was like this big conference run in San Diego a few years ago with like TMRE, like a fall MRA mm-hmm. or something like that. And it was like, what do I do? Like, who else am I seeing in San Diego? You know, because there was nowhere else to go. But and same thing with like some of these things that like the breakers in Palm Beach. Palm and Beach. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Give me somewhere where I can go see somebody else. Definitely. That's why I'm excited about Brooks West. I know yeah. it's Orange County, but I think most folks are flying in and out of LA. I think we're, you know, we're, we're, we're bringing a couple of folks and we're going to see clients in, sure. in LA and in Orange County as well as the conference. And anytime you can put it in a populated region where there are research teams, it's, it's a good, it's, it's just an added benefit for sure. Oh, I agree. Uh, let's move on to the research rant of the week. Uh, this got some popularity last week, mainly because I think you had to do two rants. So it was kind of like, I remember like a buddy of mine was listening to it in Texas, like, who's the grumpy dude? And I was like, that's his stick. Like, that's his shtick. He is the grumpy dude. He wants that. So, Brian, research rant of the week. Go. Funny enough, I prepared two rants. I'm only going to give you one. <laughs> I'm not always grumpy. I do, a lot. I do enjoy conferences. My rant this week, though, was based on data quality. And that's a hot topic this year, right? All those conferences we just mentioned, we'll probably be discussing that. And I just read the GRIT report, which just came out. Shout out to Green Book. Um, but there's an increase in fraud and market research. This isn't a big surprise to anybody. But my rant is about how is there not an industry solution to this? What is, what is SMR doing? Do the Insights Association, they have guidelines on this and best practices. I mean, this is affecting everyone. And, you know, a lot of, I'm, I'm, I believe in capitalism. I think if certain companies develop the best digital fingerprinting solution and fraud protection, they'll survive, and I agree with that that should happen. But there's a lot of, we know, we work with 150 partners. A lot of them aren't the research nows of the world, the Telemas of the world. Some of them are kind of small, mom and pop um, health providers, and they have to invest a large amount of money to stop this fraud, invest in digital fingerprinting, and um, it takes a lot of time. So I don't I don't really know what Insights Associated and SMR are doing, and I, I think they should be. We'll be fine. You know, we're nimble. We don't have a huge investment in a panel. Um, but, you know, we, by the way, we're making a huge investment this year in new digital fingerprinting software. So I think we'll be fine, but I'm just concerned about the industry as a whole. So what's your kind of, would your solution be for somebody like an SMR or MRA to be like a governing body to where like you had to report some kind of fraudulent type thing or like say like, well, we're all really proud when the hot micro slash gold report comes out to say, look how big we are, look how much we've grown. Right. What if you had to report in there too, like this is how much percent of removals that we had, something like that. Absolutely. It's just, I just don't see any guidelines. I don't see any best practices. I don't see any help to the community. And I mean, we're a small industry as it is, market research. And a lot of times we take a lot of heat. One of those things we take heat on are the next topic or when we talk about polling. But um, we need to band together for a solution. And maybe these conferences will help with that. SampleCon is very collaborative with the industry and there's others that are much more collaborative. But I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit scared that nothing's going to come from them and we're going to be dependent upon other sources. Thank you, Brian. I just appreciate the rant. I think it's going to be something we'll probably ran a couple more times this year, um, especially moving into SampleCon, um, where I 
<laughs> and presenting, uh, talking about uh, B2B sample and fraud and what type of compromises, shortcuts are we taking and how can we avoid those and kind of come together to make that a better practice in the industry. Um, that brings us to our interview for the week. Um, I'd like to introduce, you heard him talking earlier, uh, to Adam Dietrich. Adam uh, has been with EMI for oh, seven years. Yes, sir. Jeez, June 20th. I remember the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, before that, uh, you've been involved in politics. You've worked on campaigns in the past. Or 2008, you worked on the Hillary campaign. Yep. You did some time at Thanks Thank Hamilton. you for being us nonpartisan. I was, yeah, I was on your Wikipedia page. No. Um, <laughs> just trying to get some info. Um, so, but you also work with polling companies now. So you've done GOP work. You've done kind of that uh, independent type work. You've done Democrat work as well. Um, so thanks for coming on the pod. Appreciate it. Definitely very excited. All right. So our first part, we call it the Quant Quad, where I give you two questions. You don't know what they are. And you give me two questions, but I don't know what they are. And then we kind of recap each other's answers, talk. Brian's going to pepper a little bit with some of his thoughts on it as well. Um, but let's go get his started. I'll start off with a question for you. Perfect. Why does everyone hate, or hate's a strong word, um, why do people not trust polls, like the, the pre-poll? And I, I mean, I know you can go back, <clears throat> the loudest noise is the 2016 presidential election, mm -hmm. but what are your thoughts? How much time do you have? Um, there's, there's a lot there. Um, but in terms of public trust toward uh, online polls, phone polls, polling in general, um, there are the industry has certainly seen better days. I think a lot of it goes back to, to 2016, as you said. Um, I, I think of Frank Luntz, who's a, you know, kind of the, the biggest name GOP pollster. Um, the day before the election, tweeted um, very explicitly that there was like a 98% chance that, that Hillary Clinton would win and that she was going to win. And, you know, Nate Silver, who was pretty much perfect state for state in 2012, he had Hillary as well. And I think... I think the, the thing that's kind of amazing is that it unites people on both sides of the aisle. Democrats feel like they've kind of been, uh, I think, a little bit um, duped, right? That pollsters haven't been very accurate. And I think Republicans, you know, these, these I guess, you know, the, the common media phrase is like forgotten Trump voters. Um, they felt forgotten, you know, that they weren't being polled. I can't tell you how many, if you, if you see any poll right now, it doesn't matter whether it comes from Fox News or CNN. If you, if you see one tweeted on, on, on Twitter, where, where things are tweeted, uh, and you scroll down in the mentions into the, the replies, there will always be somebody saying, nobody called me. Yeah. Nobody, I, I never got asked this question. I would have said something different. And I think that where I'm trying to tie this all into is I don't think that there's great understanding public publicly about the way representative sample works, the way that, um, you know, predictions would go, things like that. And the other thing, the thing that's most important in my book is, is modeling, right? So mm -hmm. I think that generally the methodology for online and phone, uh, were pretty accurate when you look at where they were, things were in 2016. Um, you know, they pretty much match up with what voters said at the actual polls. The issue was with the modeling, whether it's Nate Silver, whomever, um, nobody predicted enough of these kind of quote unquote forgotten Republicans coming out. And so it's turned into a thing where both sides feel kind of burnt and nobody trusts them. I get that. Um, I'm a big 538 guy. Um, so I think back to 
to me, I think polls go two different ways. You have like your scientific poll, which traditionally is phone, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like if you look at the grading work that 538 gives on polls, his higher ones are phone based, mm-hmm. right? So, and like he will slam drudge and the real time poll type things. Like when you click on it, <laughs> right. who do you think is going to win? Because Trump won those by like a landslide. Push right? polls. Yeah. And that's where like the diehard red state guy is going to be like, you know, look at my drudge report. Yeah, of right. course we won. I, I knew we were going to win that. <laughs> but there's got to be, I, for one thing, national election. It's dumb to do a national poll. Totally. Because popular vote doesn't matter. We have this thing called the Electoral College. Right. People found out about it. So yeah. if you went back through state by state with what 538 was saying, the margin of victory in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan and those type of states. Florida. Atlanta, Florida. Or Atlanta. Atlanta, okay. Florida. Let's just face it. The state of Georgia is Atlanta. Okay. All right. All right. Decatur. Uh, but, like, it's everything goes down. Like, the margin of victory was inside of what the what it was, the yeah. margin of error, right? So, like, it's not like Trump won by 8% in those states. He, he squeaked it out. And then and then you had, if you had Hillary winning by 2, the margin of error was 5, and Trump wins by 3, you're in there. So it shouldn't have been a huge, huge surprise. But it then goes back to, like... The models, right, and the confidence intervals that you have in it, right. That that that's the main part, and that's the part that I think is most poorly communicated, right. right. Um, whether it's Nate Silver, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. the The fact that whenever a poll starts out, they are assuming that X percentage of the vote is going to be uh, Republican or Democrat or Independent. X percent is going to be this ethnicity, that ethnicity, yeah. uh, this age group, etc. And that part is is more important than anything else. And that's what differentiates political polling from the online research that we do for traditional kind of consumer brands and things like that, right? When, um, you know, I don't know, uh, a national brand is is thinking about a marketing campaign for tennis shoes. Um, they know that they're going to run, you know, commercials and online advertising and things like that, and they can apply it to the general population, right? And there, right. there isn't, you know, those quotas are there, but they're, not definitive. Sure. For polling, the quotas that they create are what makes that margin of error. And so, and that's the area that I, I don't think people know the most about, and that's why people generally hate polls. That's right. I have one quick thing to add. I agree with everything you're saying, but also, polling is really tough. It's really hard. I mean, it's only done every once every four years, right? So it's not like we have this iterative plan where we can calibrate all these polls. So it's really hard to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it's really hard to predict what someone says they're going to do. So if you, we know that what, 40 to 50% of people vote in presidential elections, right? If you poll people and said, hey, are you gonna vote? 75% of people are gonna say they're gonna vote. So this is tough for pollsters to try to determine of that 75% of people that say they're gonna vote, who's actually gonna vote? It's really tough to do. And then you have all these variables that you can't predict, which are weather, and, you know, the day of, you might be in a different mood. Um, who knows what's going to happen? You might have a busy day at work, right? So it's, it's extremely tough. Shit, hit me with the question. <sighs> yes, sir. Um, <laughs> we'll stay on this topic for a little bit. Um, there has generally been, from an online perspective for polling, uh, a shift toward a lot of attempts at gaining legitimacy, right? Polling is like the one last portion of market research that is uh, dominated by phone, right? Mm -hmm. And so you've seen a lot of 
um, whether it's, it's research firms or, pull fr- or pollsters or even sample companies, they've kind of tried to create some add-ons to add legitimacy. So there are things like voter ID file matching. There are things like, um, you know, demanding that, that uh, a survey, be, an online poll be done with like true sample or whatever we're calling it now, um, or maybe has to be done via mobile while they're in a certain congressional district, etc. Do you think those add-ons are going to help online polling gain legitimacy and are they necessary? Necessary for peace of mind, yeah, but um, it's, it, we're far away from it helping. Because even with the voter file, it's like, what is the voter file you matched on, right? And right now, a lot of people are using that Aristotle mm-hmm. type match, uh, which I don't necessarily think is the overall best answer, but at least is a start. Mm-hmm. Um, I like you started going down a road with like alternative ways of polling. So like if there was a way, so mobile is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Like right now, as far as point of sale type things and setting up the geofences, like if you could set up some kind of geofence like exit polling using mobile. Like real time exit polling mobile right then, and you had some kind of some kind of like anonymity to it, mm-hmm. right? Also, it's almost like a second booth when you walk out type thing. I think there is an answer there, and there is that is a way you can have online the benefits of online speed and cost, and then still have a sense of quality behind that, um, and actually get something worth it, you know? Not and, and it's real time. Like I don't know if you necessarily have somebody walk out and like who'd you go for? You know, that type of question. <laughs> right. But at least, like, you can get some kind of more insight rather than a lot of times those polls are happening weeks before, you know? That's why even if you look at, like, not to get too much into, like, the background, like, what happened with the election, but, like, the FBI probe, you know? And that happened, like, look at, the, I would love to see a poll before that and then interview the same exact people after that, like a pre-post type thing mm-hmm. to see did that have any type of, of change there. And then you could say, like, okay, if it did have a change, then shit, we got to throw out all of our models, you know? So The LA Times actually did something like that where they used a pool of, I think it was 1,000 people. Right. Um, and kind of had this continuous it's like an check-in. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think stuff like that is great. I think creativity from that and, and, and kind of using the other aspects of, of research that are being pushed forward. Mm-hmm. I think that makes perfect sense. I know somebody did talk about doing exit polling with mobile, right? Kind of when mobile was in its, uh, like... Uh, venture capital heyday. Oh, I was going to say it. fad. Look at you. <laughs> uh, um, you know, 2013, 14, yeah. people talked about doing exit polling. I think there's a ton of good stuff there that I, the one thing that I really want to happen over the next couple of years is get to a place where the, on, the, the polling community as a whole adopts and accepts online. And we have the people, the, the smartest pollsters, you know, kind of the, the biggest research firms all taking the, the kind of private consumer style research ideas and moving it to polling. Cause I think there's a lot, a lot of growth opportunity there as, as an industry. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my, my next question. I'll expand on that. Like why should we, why should we trust online polling the same? Is it as simple as trusting it the same way we do online market research for insights? <laughs> well, it's funny. There's, there's a, and uh, I'll talk about um, my time on the campaign trail. Oh, oh. Um, there's, you share. there's um, a common phrase amongst uh, amongst campaign pollsters that they, they they talk about. They love to talk about the fact that their you know Fortune 500 brand clients use this type of polling, um, and and they love to use that as a sales technique to to sell to their, their their campaign clients, right? Yeah. And the the joke is is that they do the same thing in reverse, right? Each one finds legitimacy where like the consumer side 
the, those consumer brands find legitimacy in the fact that you know this is the same stuff that the, the same type of polling that or research that the president used to get elected, and the president find the president's team finds legitimacy in the fact that you know this is the same type of research that P and G did, right. um, and so it's kind of this weird cyclical nature. But I think I think the the best way to kind of look at it is into you know why should there be more widespread trust in online polling? When's the last time? You spoke on a landline phone at your home. Yeah, I don't have one. <laughs> my, that's my point exactly. Um, and and th- don't get me wrong, there is a ton of, of, of phone research that, that is now um, shifted towards towards mobile phones, but obviously that's a, a whole different can of worms. It's pretty expensive and it's difficult in a lot of different ways. Um, but voters are online. You know, I I still help out on campaigns you know, on, a, on a local level, and the amount of Time spent on online media is much higher than time spent on on TV media, right? Like people spend a lot more time crafting their their Facebook group messages than they do, uh, and, and you know their online presence than they do right. on you know their thirty second radio hit or sure. their thirty second TV ad that they run for six months, right? Right, which is kind of the Obama marketing campaign, exactly, right? and that's because that's where the most people are, mm-hmm. right? And so I think. I think it's something that we need to to kind of realize here is this is this is the best way to get insights, right? There's built-in anonymity, just like you're in the booth. There are tons of of people that want to give their opinions on this, right? Like I think that there's something naturally really cool and, and American in the fact that you know we have this democracy, and, and every you know two years, uh, maybe sometimes more often. I saw you, we were talking about 2017 campaigns too. Yeah. Um, you know, you have this this duty to go in and vote. And, you know, I think that obviously it's a polarizing topic and things like that. But I think that, that if we just embrace online, there, there are avenues to expand and gain further trust. What's your last question for me? My last question for you. After I've done such a spectacular job <laughs> at uh, not knowing that there was a Quirks West last year, yeah, um, and I'm off to, <laughs> off to a great start. I want to ask you about about. I'll probably invite you to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am available for a last minute invite. Uh, Quirks West, just saying. Right. Um, I want to ask you about conferences. Um, we are. I'm going to Quirks West with uh, one of our our newest hires, and it's his first research conference. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be sales specific. It doesn't have to be client side specific. Whatever. What is one thing that you wish first time Adam Jolly conference you could go back and tell yourself? That was really poorly phrased. No, I got it. Um, it's two things, really. I uh, know you said one, but I'll say two. Um, the biggest one. <laughs> you got the rule breakers in here. <laughs> yeah, this is outlaw podcast. Um, I think the first one for me is that I wanted to like latch on to people because you have like a little bit of fear. Mm-hmm. So like you go and like you meet somebody. So you get the list and you explore and you see like, oh, I'm going to meet Jim Bob. And you meet Jim Bob and you tell him, hey, I've sent you emails. We've called. We've talked before. Maybe you've done a project or something like that. And then you just latch on to Jim Bob. And you're with Jim Bob the entire. And he's like your safety net. And really, Jim Bob doesn't care because he's like, oh, great. This guy's okay. I, mean, I trust him enough to give him some work. But, like, conferences really are for networking. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think there's a, a chance to go and meet somebody and say and have your talk and maybe give, like, your pitch or your spiel and find some kind of connection to the conference and then say, 
look, I know we're both here for networking. Do you want to pick this up next week? Like, do you want to schedule a call next week and talk more on more time? And then you can spend the most of your time, you know, wherever in the city or whatever conference you're at. I wish I would have known that then. Cause I would go and I would come back and you got like eight business cards and they're like super great. But I wonder like what I could have done with 50 business cards and then follow up calls the next week, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the big one. And then the other one is, um, view conferences as an extension of work. Um, I think so many times the first uh, people's first conference, it is such a relaxed, they want you to feel so relaxed and so like involved it, not that it loses professionalism, but like you can, I can spot the first time attendee when mm-hmm. I go. Oh, totally. Cause they're the person that is at the hotel bar all night long. And they're the person that, is stumbling in the middle. They're leaving like the keynote speaker a lot. They're not like, they're just not doing the best time, but they're having the best time. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? And I wish I would have known Not that I ever went to a conference and went crazy or anything, but like it, when you see that and you get into a situation and you see how friendly everything is and how accommodating everything is and how relaxed you're supposed to be, you can almost set up like a false expectation of this is not a work function. You are not here to network or gain insights or gain sales, that type thing. Um, that makes sense. Well, Adam, let me just into our next segment. It's called the four P's. This is when the f- podcast gets fun, man. Um, so the marketing mix, you know, the four P's, we did a different view of them. And so the first P, I'll say a P word and then I, what it means to you, you can answer. And that is present. What's the best birthday present you've ever received? I am mm. familiar with this premise. I listened last week. I was not in Walton, Kentucky when I did so. Uh, my best present that I've ever received, uh, 2014, I was living in London, had gone over uh, to help EMI expand its European operations. Uh, hello to the Irina and her team. Shout out to, to, that, to that side of the, side of the pond. Um, and I had been there for a few months. I was pretty lonely. I was working a lot. And Mike Holmes, EMI CEO, was coming uh, to come to a, to a conference with me, meet some clients, and kind of whenever he was coming over to visit, it was always a uh, kind of a nonstop kind of thing, right? We're at clients, we're we're in the cab, sure. we're at the yeah. next place, you know, we're constantly running and running, and then you know, and then he's gone back back to the states. Um, <clears throat> but a few weeks before he he came over, he said, "Hey, I know that I'm there on your birthday, so we're gonna get done at, at four o'clock," you know. They end pretty early over there, I'll be honest. Um, and you invite as many of your friends uh, as you want, and we'll, uh, we'll go out to dinner and wherever you want and, and just kind of make a, a birthday night of it because you're not going to be with your friends and your family. Um, so I I, uh, I didn't have many friends. I actually invited... Uh, I'm sorry, did you say many or any? Uh, we'll say many. Okay. Um, the, the mic cuts out yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have many friends, so I invited clients, um, the... the the, uh, an entire team uh, and, and Mike, our CEO, we went uh, we went out to Bodine's. It's like an American barbecue place in, in London. They've got a few different uh, shout out to Bodine's just in case they want to send yeah. along some gift cards. Get that uh, meal, son. I get it. Anyway, we went to Bodine's, had American food, you know, brisket, the whole, oh, it was amazing. We're sitting there uh, in this, this big long booth watching baseball with a bunch of, of Europeans and Brits and, and everybody. And explaining the rules to him, and as it's bottom of the ninth, runner on third base, the pitcher box 
So like in baseball, they call it like a balk off, right? Yeah. It's like the weirdest. It's happened like 20 times, I think, in 2000 or 20,000 games. It's, you know, 0.0111%. Yeah. There's something like that of ever happening. And it happens in this game as we're trying to explain baseball to a bunch of people that couldn't care less about baseball. Uh, but it was a spectacular night. I really enjoyed it. Um, and it made me feel, made me feel good. So that was my best birthday present ever. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and next P is for place. What place or day is your ideal setting or your happiest place? Ooh. Um, this is definitely recency bias, but Chicago? This is my second winter in Chicago. Yeah. Um, it's not the best place to be during this, the winter time. I'd have never heard that. Yeah. Um, what do I, they, they call it? The, the chilly city? Is think, that right? I think something like that. Okay. Um, most of my Chicago references come from Perfect Strangers and Family Matters. It's okay. <laughs> okay, continue. Your favorite place. He was a cop on yeah. Family Matters. Yeah, uh, Is that Urkel? Carl Winslow. Urkel and Family Urkel. Matters? Yeah. Okay. It's family. All right. Most people go. just call it Urkel, but it's called Family Matters. Okay. Okay. I remember. And Perfect Strangers was Balky Bartokamus and Cousin Larry. Whatever, man. Thank you. Um, anyway, uh, honestly, I would, I would, I could. I would settle for any beach, uh, any right. anywhere right now. Uh, you know, particular beach. Bring, bring Give me a city. Uh, the Wedge, which is uh, the southernmost point of Newport Beach in Orange County, California. All right. We always tie this back to food from last week. Brian, do you know any restaurants in Newport Beach or in California? What's your favorite food? What do you think, California? You think of what food? I think of tacos. Okay. Mm-hmm. Think of uh, what's the burger place? In and out. In and out. That's what a hamburger's all about. Food trucks. Oh yeah. That's what I think of. All right. Yeah, me too. I think of. Uh, I remember <laughs> one time. This is out. So last week we talked about ideal place, and then we went into like a food memory that goes into it. My food memory with California, the entire state of California, is after a TMRE in uh, San Diego one time. Me and Mike going over to um, El El Dorado. Is that Del Taco? Del Taco. El Dorado. The uh, the little part outside of San Diego is like a peninsula. Um, Coronado. 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 Yes. Coronado. That's how that's how much this memory sticks with me. Uh, <laughs> we went to Coronado and we had like five hours to go into our flight. We had a red eye and we threw back maybe forty oysters. Oh. In like an hour, like we were just going to town. It reminded me of like the walrus in uh, Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> like he eats that whole family of clams. That was me and Mike Holmes, circa 2011, San Diego, Coronado. Best, best meal. That's me, California food. Alice in Wonderland reference. Yeah. Well, you're not going to get that on... Anywhere. Yeah. You're not getting that on the Innovate podcast. I'm just kidding. I can give you a <laughs> California food story, which may be cut. Here it is. I was doing research, in-person research in San Diego, California. And it was one of those days where we, we worked from like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. in person. We were testing frozen food. At 10 p.m., we left about four of us that were there. We were all starving. We have a rental van. This is key to the story. It's a rental van. We're starving. We go to McDonald's. I'm driving. I pass out the McDonald's to people in the car. And someone in this car, a coworker of mine, said, oh, we're not eating this until we get back to the hotel. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, why? This is a rental car. Uh, yeah. And she's like, no, I, I don't want to eat in the car. I'm like, well, your rules, your rules from home don't apply here. Mom. 
Right. <laughs> and she would not hand out any of the food until we got back to the hotel, so I proceeded to drive the opposite way on the freeway until she handed out the food, and we haven't spoken since. Good for you. I hope she listens. Yeah, Natalie. <laughs> uh, next P, Dietrich. Purpose. So, uh, this is kind of like I word show season. You think about guys get up there and they say, I want to thank my eighth grade theater teacher gave me a belief to be what I can be. Uh, who has driven you to success? And who, if this was an acceptance speech, like who do you thank for getting you to where you are today? Uh, I was not in theater class in eighth grade. Just want to put that out there. Um, I totally cliche would thank my mother. Um, my mom has an unbelievable story. Uh, she grew up in, in Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, go Sycamores, and was one of one of seven kids. Um, you know, very kind of rough uh, setup, and you know, it was basically just my grandma and, and seven kids, and uh, living in a three bedroom house. They didn't have any furniture in the living room, and my uh, my, my grandma told my mom it was because. Uh, um, it was so they'd have more room to play during the winter when they couldn't go outside. Uh, she put herself through college in three years, working nights in a factory, and she built a, an amazing career for herself. And I, uh, I don't know, whenever, whenever I feel like life's got me down, I kind of just think about those old stories and I don't know, it drives me. It's, it's what pushes me and it, it's kind of, it's, it's made me who I am. So it's great. I give a shout out to my mom. Great. Um, last P is person. Uh, I bring this to our Mount Rushmore question. Mount Rushmore for you, Adam Dietrich. Give me your Mount Rushmore of best rappers alive. Whew, best rappers. So, Hershey's Kiss, I mean, that's just a classic. Um, I really like, I really I like knew the- you were going to do this joke. I knew you were going to do candy rappers. Oh, man, that's good. Um, Terrible joke. Keep no, it moving. That's good. Man, um, you were ready to be a dad. I try. Good dad joke. Um. Oh my goodness. All right. Best rappers alive. Um. I'm gonna start on the easy side and just go Jay Z. Uh. Moving on. I, I don't need to do anything else. I'll maybe go a little bit more off. A little more controversial. Uh. Andre 3000 from Outkast. Mentioned Atlanta earlier. Okay. Um. Yeah. I think he's a little bit undercover. People kind of put him in the group kind of thing, but. You, you listen to his verses and tell me I'm wrong. Uh, after that, kind of going back to the Jay-Z late 90s, early 2000 thing, I guess it's Nas, right? Because mm-hmm. he dominated there for a while. I like, I like, I like intellectual rappers. Okay. Uh, and then on the new side, this is where it gets tricky. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say Kanye West, but I think I have to because College Dropout was the first album that I ever bought that I really felt like changed my life. Like I, I had no idea about anything, about anything, and uh, and that I, so I'll go with that over like something a little bit more recent, like Little Wayne or or maybe Drake or uh, or somebody like that. Hmm. Those would be my four. Um. Per usual, my rebuttal, as it was last week with Brian's college football, was that your list is trash. (laughs) But um, the the obvious Mount Rushmore of Rappers Alive is Jay-Z. Yeah. Um, He's got Equity. Yes. Um, He had four bad albums in a row. He came out with a great one, 444. He got nominated for Best Album. It's great. Uh, Number two, 
Well, not at two. This is, I guess, present-wise, is Jay-Z is George Washington. <laughs> then you go, uh, I go Kendrick. You didn't even mention him with your recent rappers. I don't know what's going on, man. I, That's I, what, you lost everything. I did, I did. I don't know, I really don't know what happened there. I got scared, I got really nervous. Uh, Kung Fu Kendrick. I don't like West Coast rap as much, I'll be honest. Hmm, interesting. Um, another knock on Quirks West. Jeez, <laughs> just keep just on Just the hip-hop. Dan Quirk is gonna come after you with a fury. Um, then I go, uh, I go under two thousand two, um, yeah. and then um, I went with. Uh, although recent, like the last ten years, he's been garbage. I go Eminem. Eminem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and we talked about that with best rappers ever. Like maybe has he destroyed his legacy? Um, I had Nas for a second, but really Nas is kind of like the. Uh, I'd call him like the. Clyde Drexler or Mitch Richmond of rap. And what I mean by that, Clyde Drexler or Mitch Richmond, if they came on the scene right now, they're top five, right? But instead they came in in the late 80s, early 90s to where you've got the end of Showtime and Bird. You've got Jordan, the greatest basketball player ever. you got guys like Barkley and Malone, um, Shaq. I mean, we've named like five guys in that top ten. So because of that, they, like, they were never like... The, even considered to be the greatest, even though, like, if you were in Portland or Houston or Sacramento or Golden State, wherever, you know, those guys were, like, they were the best player on your team, and they dominated every night they're putting in 25. So that's where I think Nas falls, because he was with the Biggie Tupac, and then through Jay-Z, and, yeah, he had Ether but, and yeah. TakeOver and stuff, but then he just dropped off. Um, he didn't have that second stage. Well, maybe he still has that second. Maybe sure. Maybe something happens. But, uh Brian, anything to add on the uh, <laughs> rapper Mount Rushmore? Well, you know I'm a huge rap fan. I've heard. The, the one that's obviously missing is my boy Wiz. Oh, yeah, you big Wiz I'm Khalifa I'm a huge guy. Wiz Khalifa fan, Okay, yeah. both personally and professionally. <laughs> yeah, he deserves a mention. Thank you. Okay. I love it. If I could, if I could continue my, uh, my rapper sure. list, yeah. uh, the gum that comes in the car cup holder, that's, yeah. a, that's a rapper that changed the game. I just want to put that out yeah, there as well. I agree. Like, the Eclipse is what it is. The Eclipse Cup. Yeah. The Eclipse Cup is the equivalent of, will the real Slim Shady please stand up? 98. Sure. sure. Yeah, so I agree. Try your own equivalency. I'm with you on that one. Uh, well, that's, uh, that ends the four-piece, and that brings us to our 32nd shot clock non-research rant of the week for Adam Dietrich. Adam, whenever you're ready. I thought a lot about this. And I want my rant to be about driving habits. And this is kind of goes back to political polling to an extent. A lot of state legislatures have adopted bills over the last couple of years to keep people from staying in the left lane. And it is the single greatest thing that any government is doing in the world. I drove from Chicago to Cincinnati today. I, at, uh, early in the morning, I saw a total of like 17 cars in, in Indiana. All 17 of them were in the far left lane, and it is infuriating. I'm not a speeder. I'm not anything. I'm not a crazy driver. I just don't understand why people don't get back over to the right if they're going to go the speed limit, if they're not passing anybody. And this is a place where big government is right. I think I think police should be throwing people in jail for camping out in the left lane. End of rant. 
Thank you, Adam. As always, the research rant is brought to you by Crazy. Um, so we spend all we spend all podcasts talking about how smart we are and how great we are at political polling, and then we lose our mind about people in the left lane. Seventeen people, to be exact, in the left lane over a four and a half hour drive. So that's great. Uh, that ends episode two of Intellicast, brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. Um, please look out for us January 30th and 31st at the Quirks West. Come see Adam Dietrich, if they still allow him, in the gates, uh, as well as Joseph Rui, who will be at the conference as well. Um, please join us at SampleCon in Austin, Texas, February 7th through 9th. Um, we are sponsoring the Great Sample Hunt, which would be a great scavenger hunt, a great way to kick off the conference as well as see the city of Austin on that first Wednesday. Um, and also, please stop by and see me. I'm speaking in a breakout session um, on that Thursday, kind of limit, talking about limiting the B2B sample fraud and best practices that we can have. With that, please send us any comments, suggestions at intellicast at emi-rs.com. And please like and subscribe and tell everyone you know in the market research industry or just fans of candy wrappers to listen to us next week. Thanks so much and have a great week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>